4: This is how we defeat globalism
5: and change the world. Now, I've spent a lot of time researching history to find out how this centralization or globalization affects people, and more importantly, how it takes away freedom, and even more importantly, how that trend gets reversed. How does it lead to revolution and freedom again? And by following those exact same steps, we can achieve this, achieve the same things. Now, there's a quote from Socrates. He says, don't focus your energy on fighting the old, but on building the new. Building parallel structures is how we win. It's something I talk about all the time. And today, I am sitting down with someone who is doing just that. They are focusing their efforts on building parallel structures. It's one I'm super interested in because it's something I'm actively doing in my own life and I learned some things on this interview that I will be using. I'm talking with Texas Slim of the Texas Beef Initiative and he is changing the world by defeating these uh, or by creating these parallel structures. It's a great conversation whether you like meat or not. I encourage you to listen to this interview. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. Let's uh, Let's talk about what you're doing. So you know, uh, the world's changing super rapidly. Um, yes. And I talk about a lot where there's like these three revolutionary cycles that are converging a 250-year, 250-year political revolution cycle that swings like a pendulum, and it's been swinging towards centralization. Now we're maxing out on centralization, and the world is pushing back, and we'll swing back to decentralization, but it's going to take a long time. And so we can see that the centralization is like they're they are hanging on with everything they have. They're squeezing But the more they squeeze, the more people push back. Um, Henry Kissinger framed it up for us. He told us that the attack vectors were gonna be control the food, control the energy, control the money. So it's like food, energy, money. And so we can see that, right? We got food under attack, energy under attack, and then of course the money is under attack as well. Not just by destroying fiat, not just by destroying our assets, our our savings, but then with the introduction of CBDCs that are coming. Um, So you're working on that. Right. Yes. And that's you you see that you see that framing up, you see that those threat vectors and that's kind of what you're focusing on.
6: Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, you know, covid, of course, everybody says, well, hey, it was kind of an awakening. I think a lot of us, you know, already knew some stuff was going on. You know, I started kind of dropping out of the centralized. I come from big tech there in Austin. You know, that's I grew up farming and ranching agriculture that's in our blood you know i'm seventh generational texan you know i grew up in a decentralized mindset close to earth well i got tired of that when i was 19 and i had to go you know see the world fell into big tech and you know i i've seen the progression of technology i've seen the progression of the centralization and in about 2015 2016 i just dropped out of technology and i was done you know i was i didn't like where it was going i didn't like the over centralization of it i didn't like the cycles that big tech brings you know as far as the boom and the bust i've been through a lot of those And it was just something that was defeating, you know, as a a person that had been in it for several decades. And then, of course, 2017, 2018, I started really looking at food just a little bit because I could tell that there was major consolidations going on across the world. And whenever COVID did hit, I'd already been doing some uh, food intelligence. That was something I kind of came up with when I started going deep down, because I became a research analyst in big tech. So I started using those research skills. And what I noticed is that they were doing something that they like to call the One World Food Group. And what does that mean? Well, it's very daunting. It's, It's hard to understand on a macro level to break it down to where it affects us on a micro level. So I dove in and then especially when COVID came, uh, the the marketing plan of COVID, you, know, you could t- tell the supply chain lines breaking down, how they basically treated the, the beef industry as well. There was a lot of things they did to make it look like it was okay, but it wasn't. With all that, it was a perfect storm to uncover a lot of the deceptions that we live in with our food and so i broke it down and then you know two years later here we are i don't know i've been doing this for over three years but the beef initiative one full year now and you know one year of research before that before i kicked off the beef initiative
5: you mentioned food intelligence so Mm -hmm. so what's the food intelligence
6: well what i i like to go back to you know where whenever you look at food intelligence, you look at food, you know, what is your what is your knowledge of food? Where does your food come from? There's a layer there that a lot of people are forgotten. And what I was able to do is reflect back on my ancestors, on my grandfathers, and where that how they looked at food that basically came from the soil. You know, and food intelligence really should start underneath the ground. That's where our vitamins and minerals truly are. And if you look at our cycle of agriculture in the United States of America, we've lost that food intelligence as us, the consumers. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring a new awareness of like where food used to come from, where it is now, how we got here. And then food intelligence basically should be associated with health intelligence. And if you can combine those two together, you can kind of really uncover more than a lot of people are um, enabling themselves to do because a lot of people in the health industry they really don't really associate your health to food. It's a, it's amazing the separation of nutrition and in, in good health. And so I just came up with the hashtag because I wanted to, you know, create some awareness around just that phrase. I believe right now, you know, us as a society, especially in the United States, we have to live with a new form of food intelligence. And it's really getting to the source of the seed of what true nutrition is and where that comes from.
5: Yeah, it's insane um, that that people just. Uh, I I guess it's not insane. I mean, I guess it's intentional, right? We've been purposely um, educated a certain way where we don't uh, put any attention into the food. And in today's day and age, it's interesting because in today's day and age, almost it seems like health is at the forefront where we have every new gadget and every new watch and (laughs) our beds now have, um, you know, electronics in the beds that can track your sleep. And we have the new sneakers and all these classes and all these things but like it starts with what you eat. And I, I'm constantly amazed by people who say, uh, well, calories in, calories out. And it's just like total calories. And it's like, no, like, uh, you know, you, you have a thousand calories of soda per day and I'll have a thousand calories of steak per day and let's see what happens. Right? Like it's not, it's not the yeah. same. And, and so it's just like uh, the lack of intelligence to use your word is uh, pretty amazing. And and uh, then to think that, uh, I mean, you know, then we get the food and then it goes through our, uh, you know, our, our gut biome. And then uh, almost everything from our emotions to, you know, all of our health comes from that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. It's, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's purposely been mis, misheld miss uh, with, withheld from us. I'm guessing that that's, that's that my, no, it wondering.
6: has, I mean, we, we go back I mean, we could talk, you and I could talk for a day and we wouldn't have enough. Sure. Right. So I like to look at, you know, I always tell people about the cholesterol lie. You know, that was a, a big lie with Ansel Keys, throw people down some rabbit holes, you know, the cholesterol lie, the fat free lie, you know, the seed oil lie in which we've, we've come from. And if you look at how we introduced fake commodities into our food system in the early 70s, whenever we lost the value of the dollar, you know, went off the gold standard, well, you can look at our health as well, and you can do a correlation, and it's basically the same chart. You know, our failing health is the same as the failing dollar. So if you understand that, okay, this is something, this is a thing, as people like to say, well, Why is it a thing? Well, it's because we have an apparatus, you know, the industrial food complex. It's a global complex now, and they came at the farmers, ranchers, people, nutrition. We had to feed the world. Well, we never fed the world. What we did is we introduced a lot of food into our system that we don't even need. We don't need it to this day. It's it makes trillions of dollars on the on the commodities markets, you know, with subsidies. It's daunting. Like I say. But, what people don't understand is a lot of the nutrition that is is basically, you know, um, looked at in in our society today you know, where did it come from? Where did that nutrition study come from? Well, a lot of times it came from grain companies, it came from chemical companies. And so you have this cycle of nutrition in this nation that never completes. It's just a hamster wheel. Yeah. And, and, and basically it keeps people, you know, chasing that health narrative, that nutrition narrative, that calorie narrative, because what it does, it, it is people get I guess they get confused because even with great intentions, if you're looking at labels in with your food anymore, uh, if you're looking to the FDA to basically keep you safe or the USDA to keep you safe, you're going down the wrong path yeah. because our labeling laws are corrupt. Uh, what they what they've done even this last year with uh, you know, the generally recognized as safe law that the FDA uses, the amount of chemicals that they introduce into any type of food product you you're you're you don't know what you're eating anymore yeah. and in and, and basically that is something that people have a hard time understanding because we are trustworthy people
5: yeah um i uh i'm someone who uh i've spent most of my life at this point now in diet and nutrition and exercise so big big time in the gym and bodybuilding for decades sure. and trying every diet and all the supplements and everything and um I, I was in the, the no-fat or low-fat camp, and, you know, I mean, I, I did, did the best I could, right? And then, you know, for the last uh, decade or so, I've been trying to kind of, like, eat what's living or was living. Keep it, yeah. keep it pretty simple. I heard, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I heard uh, someone asking, like, this other doctor, talking about this topic, and they said, um, when I'm looking at a label, what, what am I looking for? Like, what should be in there, what shouldn't be in there? And he said, if it has a label, don't eat it. <laughs> exactly. right if you think about it like no meat has labels no no fruits or vegetables really? have labels none of that yeah. has labels It's only the, the stuff they make the processed foods have labels it's a pretty good way to go the problem is the convenience aspect of it that's got most sure. of us um, down that trap and then to the point that you made it was actually a uh, safety uh, talked about it was years ago I heard him talk uh, talk about it was that bit block boom I think 2019 he said uh, he gave a talk called fiat money fiat food
6: mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: And so as the fiat money system has created massive inflation, we've tried to offset that inflation in many ways and one of those is making our food cheaper. And so trying to find cheaper and cheaper ways to to mass produce it and to offset that inflation.
6: Yeah, our food is 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 so cheap. I mean, if people truly understood stood the route of our food that it takes, I just give certain examples about how how much our food has been subsidized and commoditized in a way that you know the profit is made on the on the on the corporate level once it gets down to let's say the supermarket then we're just becoming the recycling bin of that corporate waste, and I say that b- very confidently because of the health. and And what you see is that our food has gotten so cheap, and it's lost that nutritional value. The profit margins are what is fought and basically engineered for. It has nothing to do with the nutritional value. And by you know by having that target market of margin, you know that they're shooting for every year in and out you know it becomes an inflationary you know chase to where you're never going to get the margins that you had back in the day and you're going to basically have to debase your food and that's what safety was talking about is how much our food is debased based on a dollar that is so debased yeah and it is it's a mirror
5: image yeah
0: my dad works in b2b marketing but i never really knew what that meant
5: I, I remember years and years ago, I watched a documentary called fed up, which, mm-hmm. um, anybody who's listening along, check that out. Um, came out in 2014. Um, and basically they talk about, and they show going back, uh, I don't know, hundred years in history and they show how the food lobbying efforts have lobbied the government to change the laws, the regulations, the, the food pyramid and so, and so, so, so forth and, um, I mean, all factual, really good. I mean, all documentaries seem to have kind of a an agenda. But this one really exposed that. And even going as far as um, when President Obama took office and, and the First Lady, Michelle Obama, she came out with this um, whole campaign and it was... Um, Diet and exercise, like eat right and, and stay active or yeah. whatever. And then, um, and that was her whole campaign. They showed all this and how she was running it. And they showed all the signs and whatever. And then after extreme lobbying pressure came under her, the eat right part got dropped. And then it was only the keep moving exercise part that she kept. I mean, it just couldn't be more black and white so um so anyway and then and then we have the uh, again back to the kind of three attack vectors so then we have the control the food control the people and so now we have um all over the world we're seeing that the food is under attack specifically the farmers right so um oh, yeah. i've talked about this extensively obviously sri lanka is the big one um, but we see it in holland right now attacking the farmers there um now uh, canada is doing the same thing right by shutting down um uh, fertilizer, and then even in the United States, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw the feds move in on this the Amish farm um you know mm-hmm. for selling uh meat without hormones, i guess or un unpasteurized milk or something like that, and they just don't want us to have the natural food I mean what's your take on the the war on food
6: well it's it's here, and if people really People don't have access to the true information what's going on. You know, we, we're very complacent with our food because it's always on the shelves, right? We don't have to worry about it. It's not a stressor. And so by that that type of complacency that that's built, there has been a basically industrial food shift that's been going on. Right now, this year, everybody is starting to kind of wake up. There is a global industrial food shift that is going on right before our eyes. And what it is right now, you know, in the Netherlands, that's a land grab. Basically, they're going for the land. And they will have that land because they will – it's a 10-year plan. We know the Great Reset and everything. But what they're doing is I tell everybody the short and the quick is they're taking the cow, the animal protein, and the soil out of our food. And they're turning it into the lab. That's part of them introducing new fake commodities into the food system, basically, so they can chase those fiat margins. You know, and they've had this plan for a while. There's been four major uh, consolidations of food uh, global corporations since NAFTA, basically. The last one was 2017 and 18. You had major food consolidation. You had major chemical company consolidation. At that time, they had their marching orders. And so what they're doing is they're using climate change as the propaganda. They're labeling you know, the, the cow as a carbon hazard, which is totally false, it's a misnomer, but they have billions of dollars that they're unleashing onto the world and it is a global marketing plan and it is going to basically be take protein, animal protein out of your diet. And this is really only happening in Western countries. The same places that you know we're having this shift of monetary reset, they're doing it with the food as well. Yeah. So once again, debasing our money, debasing our food. We've been through this again in the seventies. We're about to do it again, and a lot of people are going to get trapped by it because they don't understand the complexities
2: of it.
5: Yeah, and they're and they're saying as much. So Bill Gates, who's you know one of the biggest pushers of this fake fake protein, fake meat, sure. um, he says specifically the, na- the rich nations should go to synthetic beef. He says that. So not, yeah. not the poor nations, the rich nations should be the ones to do that. So to your point, they're really pushing it here. I also view it as like, um, I mean, it depends on if you view this as um, evil or stupidity. And I ask this question all the time in my videos. And I, and I think that it's some of both. Um, yeah. I think there's some people that are evil. Some people are just going along with it. They don't know, no know, know better. But, um, you know, if you look back, it's like people are driven by greed, they want to make money. And so you can't really make a lot of money off of natural stuff. And so they have to make it proprietary. So like in the U S like cannabis is mostly become come legal right. Uh, in California for sure. Um, and so then they started using it for medi- medical purposes, but the pharmaceutical companies can't make any money from it. So they have to change it, right? They need to make it synthetic and then they can control it. And so the same with, with meat as well. Well, if we could only make meat synthetic, oh, how much more money could we make kind of a thing? And so, you know, we've seen them, uh, pushing that. I think Bill Gates is uh, invested into all the fake meat companies. Um, and yeah. even in the United States, like 85% of the meat comes from like four processing plants. And those yep. four processing plants are also invested into the fake meat company as <laughs> That's well. That's what I always tell everybody. Yeah, they're the biggest investors. And those big four
6: processors basically control really the world supply of beef right now, and that's that's another rabbit hole that you know I, I take people down and to, to understand. Going back to the point of you know Western countries not you know eating real beef but eating synthetic. Well, right now, um, you know, you go down to America, China created a beef industry in South America and it runs out of Brazil, which is JBS is headquartered out of Brazil. They were founded in Manhattan in an apartment, believe it or not, but now, you know, Brazil exports more beef than the United States. And a lot of that beef basically goes to China. China is buying all kinds of beef and they're not slowing down and a lot of the good beef that we actually do steward here in the united states goes to china we get the crap beef from south america australia and africa so americans really are not even eating united states beef anymore because we're selling it on the global market to the highest bidders that being the asian countries you know from south korea to china to japan and then across europe by squeezing the american consumer out of that market then we're selling to the highest bidder will they introduce this new synthetic you know type of meat protein and they do it with zeal because we are going to eat it because we think everything tastes good and we're, we're we strive for convenience with our food and i always tell everybody if you're going to strive convenience with your food you need to look at food as survival not as convenient. And if we can change our mindset, you know, then we can kind of change the perception of what's really going on. Beef is not going away and they're not going to get rid of cows. There's 300 million cows in India. They're not doing anything to those cows. They're not going to target those cows as carbon hazards. What they're doing is target the cows in the Western countries as carbon hazards and make you more of a less of a consumer towards that type of protein.
5: Yeah. Yeah, of course, in India they're not going to eat those cows either, right? So no, they're not. No, <laughs> they, of course not. They're they're just going to be there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. It, it's uh, it's it's crazy that uh, cows have been around as long as the humans, and now now apparently they're a problem. It's how
6: we got here. It's how we got here. You look at any society throughout history, they 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 basically gave a lot of respect to the cow. You know, animal protein is how we got to where we our strength is. You know, and that's a lot of what I talk about in the beef initiative coming from Texas, Texas at one time fed a nation. We did. I mean, that was the invention of the cattle drive, basically, and how we went out and we had all these millions and millions of cattle that were basically wild animals. And we we herded them up and we we drove them north and south or north and west and east and, and we fed a nation. Well, that's what we have to start understanding again, that we need to feed a nation again the way we used to do it, not the way that we're doing it
5: now. Of course, the nation didn't have 330 million people. No. It did not. So um, one thing, I, I really want to get into the building these parallel structures, and uh, that's sure. something I'm super passionate about, so I want to talk to you about that. But before, let's dig into that for a second. So uh, it was maybe a couple months ago, we were out to dinner, and a, and a buddy of mine just posed the question to me. We weren't really having this conversation. He's not the person to have this conversation with, but he posed the question to me, and he said, I ordered the steak, you ordered the steak, they ordered the steak. He's like, how many people in this restaurant do you think ordered this big old steak, T-bone, whatever, ribeye? How many people in this town, in this county, how many people do you think in Southern California ordered a steak tonight? And where's all the cows? Like, I don't see any cows around anywhere. Like, that's a lot of steaks. Like, where do those cows come from? And so um, they obviously didn't come from Southern California. Now, there are some, uh, but, you know, they're spread around the country or around the world, I guess, to the point that you're making. It seems like... um, and when it comes to the fiat money system, it seems like um, in order for these manufacturers to achieve scale, the more mm-hmm. scale they achieve, the more they go against what we actually want. So um, when we try to scale food, now I have to grow it in this w- in this way that's not beneficial for humans, right? So now cows yeah. grow up in these little pens, and they're not you know humanely raised, and they don't get to graze, and, then, and they're fed a bunch of crap, and, and on and on and on. So it seems like a much easier way would be for them to just walk around and poop on the ground and eat the natural grass. Right. So the, the way I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, but we need, we have dirt and then we have topsoil. The topsoil should be alive and that should have the minerals and the grass that grows, um, takes in carbon takes the carbon, puts it back into the ground, which then puts the minerals there, the grass then grows with good protein. So then the cows eat the good protein, the cows grow strong, they don't need antibiotics and hormones, because they're eating good protein, Um, they're more resilient. And then as they they walk around, they poop, the soil keeps going. That sounds great. It sounds super simple. But how does that work to make 330 million T bones per day? (laughs)
6: well you can't have a t-bone if you have a new york strip so that's a little little knowledge for you but well you look you put it into perspective and everybody kind of loses the perspective of how do you feed a nation how do you feed a community how do you feed a family and and, you know back in 1971 ansel keys went out to to the united states farmer and rancher and says we're going to go feed the world you're going to go fence to fence and you're going to go big or go home So they've really planted that propaganda in people's minds and thinking that, well, we're going to go feed a nation and this is what it takes. We have to have this commodity type system, you know, and that created the commodity cowboy and that created the feed yards to a level that we see today. Well, everybody drives by. You don't see it in Southern California where I am in West Texas. You know, I have places like Hereford, Texas. I have places like Demon, I have bovine. We have all kinds of cow towns. What we do also have is we have major processing centers that are global processing centers. Well, guess what? None of that beef and they're killing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of head every day. None of that beef is going to the United States of America. It's going overseas. So if you want to look about, you know, sitting in, in Southern California and saying, Hey, how, we're in LA or San Diego or wherever it is, you can feed a region in a regenerative way. We always have done it. We have not been given the opportunity to do it because we went into monocropping, went into mass grain production that became basically the commodity that we feed these animals. And so by putting it into perspective, right now with this parallel economy that we're, we're doing within the beef initiative, you can grow as much grass, cattle, and population in unison in any type of basically surface area that we've ever seen. What you can't do is go ahead and use your basically your land, your people, your labor force, and you're basically the Great Plains in which we have, and then Southern California basically being the true breadbasket of America. If you're going to use all of that land in the United States of America, no, you can't feed 320 million here because you're feeding a billion overseas. So let's put it in perspective. America can feed America in a regenerative way. That's how we got here. We did it. We can do it now. And actually, it is is a hell of a lot better for the environment. It's a hell of a lot better for the animals. It's a hell of a lot better for our health. So, you know, whenever we do comparisons, let's compare something that is valid, that was where we came from, where we are now and where we can go, not to not to the deceptions of people that were taught for generations, thinking that we were feeding the world because we never have fed the world all we've done is basically created some really crappy supply chain
5: lines and some really, really deep, um, valued food is what we've done. Well, we are feeding the world because we're sending it to to other parts of the world. We haven't fed the entire world, but to your point, we're we're selling it over there. Um, yeah. And so I, I, that's part of my thesis. I believe that the world is decentralizing. We're seeing that happen right before our very eyes went from a multipolar world to a multipolar world. And, um, I think that will continue. We're seeing it really exa- exaggerated in Europe. Every nation's out for themselves. Uh, we're going to hold on to our energy. We're going to hold on to our firewood, um, et cetera. Right. And so I think over time, you know, we're already starting to see the United States starting to re-onshore a bunch of mining, and now we're going to re-onshore our chip manufacturing. And so probably, maybe, hopefully, a lot of that um, goes away at some point. Uh, we're going to have to start to think that way if we really want to succeed. I know talking about California, you said the breadbasket. So along the border of Mexico... It's the desert, man. It's hot yeah. and it's 120 degrees in the summertime. It's the desert. There's no rain. There's no nothing, but the Colorado river comes down from Colorado and goes and drains into the Gulf of California in Mexico. And, um, a hundred years ago, these guys got water rights and they've turned it into the garden of Eden and mm-hmm. they're growing alfalfa and all these crops out there. Um, but it's become a big problem because now we don't have enough water and they don't want to give it up because a you know, hundred years ago they got the rights to the water. Um, it's a big, it's a big mess. Uh, the federal government said, Hey, you guys either figure this out or we're going to come in and redistribute this. And it's it's, it's a tough thing. I'm, I'm, I believe in private property rights. Uh, that's their private property rights. But at the same time, like, man, stuff changed in a hundred years. Um, but the one thing that makes me not sympathetic is as I come to find out and someone in the comments, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I come to find out as I've been digging into this subject, um, most of that alfalfa being grown down there is actually being sent to China. Yes. So um, it's one thing, I guess, I would suppose if like they're growing food for the United States and like, hey, well, let's we have to choose, right? One or the other. But if we're growing alfalfa to send to China, um, I'm, less, I'm less sympathetic to that situation.
6: Well, you, you know, you have alfalfa out in California. You know, we have grains all the way up to through the Great Plains here in the middle of America. You know, right now where I stand is south of Amarillo, Texas in the Panhandle. Well, throughout, I guess throughout COVID as well, everybody was talking about Bill Gates. Well, China bought over 200,000 acres of farmland as well. You know, and so all of that grain that is being produced from soy to corn to wheat, everything that you do in the middle of America, a lot of it is already being shipped overseas to China. China has a hard time feeding their population. And what they're doing is they're doing asset reallocation with our land here. They're doing food reallocation. In the, from the United States of America. So to your point, yeah, I mean it, it's it's on a global market. That's part of the One World Food Group. It's on a world macro trading apparatus. That's part of the problem. And you know that's that's why we always have to say, you know, we have to start building out locally. And then once we build out locally, we can kind of broadcast globally of our successes. And if we get that mindset, it's kind of a reverse engineering of what we were taught, really. And if you do that, you don't you, you go do that, back to one family at a time, one community at a time. You know where I grew up, every little town had a, their own processing center. The town got the grain first. The town got the animals first, and then they spread it out from there. And if we can reverse that and which a lot of people are already doing it is something that's been going on for a while but they've been doing it in such a centralized way that they're starting to understand that we need to look at how it was decentralized in the past like for my grandparents and start using that business model instead of the business model that was presented to us in the 70s yeah
7: now um
6: Listen
5: to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
8: Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels.
5: Just for everyone listening, I, I did a video talking about how Bill Gates is buying up all the farmland. He's got a couple hundred, two, yeah. over 200,000 acres. China has over 200,000 acres. Um, we have almost 920 million acres of farmland in the United States. Right. So it's like 1% a, a or 2%. It's like super tiny. Uh, but to the point you're making, though, China uh, almost has almost no arable land. So China, no. China has to import over 85% of its energy. They have no fresh water. And the water they do have has been con- uh, horribly contaminated and they, they have no arable land, they can't grow food either. And so they've had to almost colonize the world, so to speak, right, and and try to bring those resources mm-hmm. in. Uh, but the United States doesn't have that problem. We have the resources, we just have to manage them appropriately. Now, one thing you were t- talking about, okay, let b- before I jump into that, let's talk about this, uh, let's talk about these parallel structures. So, sure. when I've, uh, the reason why I'm super passionate about, it and I talk about it all the time, is because I understand, what's happening, I understand that the governments are getting bigger, uh, power is being centralized, you, you talked about the World Economic Forum and their 2030 agenda. And, and it's easy to see that we're in peak centralization, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, World Trade Organization, UN, IMF, you know, etc. And so all, all of this is becoming centralized. And again, we have the attack vectors, food, energy, money, right? And so we're being under attack. I'm concerned about this as, as most people paying attention should be. Um, I don't like that. I like the decentralized world. The United States was meant to be decentralized as a Republic. Um, and so I don't like that. Um, when I look at, um, communism, I recently wrote this book with Alex Fetsky. We co the, the uncommunist manifesto. And so communism is something I've studied extensively. And when you look at the USSR and, um, how it eventually collapsed in the seventies and into the eighties, um, one of the things that in my study seems to be what really um, really helped push it off the ledge to eventually collapse and cushion the blow for when it did was parallel structures. So because the society, because communism was so restrictive and so strict, um, people were forced outside to create black markets. And yeah. the more people that left the existing system to go start the new system, it, it, it lowered the amount of um, control they had. And right. so it, 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 caused them to fall even faster. Like if I had a party here and I kicked everybody out, eventually I don't have any control of those people cause I kicked them all out. And now they have their own party. Um, and then when the inevitable collapse came, it was cushioned because now there was all these parallel structures. Exactly. And so, uh, I'm passionate. We need to build these things up in food, in medicine, in education, in media, et cetera. Do you see that same thing? And is that kind of what's motivating you?
6: Yeah, I I like how you frame that because, you know, it gives some people some insight to, you know, even during these times of mass prohibition of, you know, space and time and, you know, money and just, you know, freedom, there's always a time during mass prohibition for mass innovation. And I see that's what's going on with these parallel structures, as you say, it's kind of a pillar of strength in times of chaos. And what we have to do in what I've been doing with the beef initiative and from day one is that you know? People think that they have to have permission. We don't have to ask for permission, and especially when it comes to uh, the ranching industry. Let's just say beef. You know, that's what I'm focused on is is cattle. Within the cattle industry, there's it's a living and breathing industry. It is so complex that it's hard for people to understand. But if you come from where I come from, in the ranchers in which I do work with, and who have come through the, within the beef initiative, and we're functioning what we understand is that in a lot of ways we are already there we are already decentralized and we have a lot more leverage than people realize and we're doing it with by following the law better than the law knows itself and you brought up earlier you know processing you know 85% of our food in the united states especially animal protein is by four processors well, guess what? There's many other microprocessors that don't play that game. They don't play that commodity game. Most of the animal protein that is processed in these processing centers, these global processing centers, follow the commodity route. In of the, commodity in the, in the grains, big four. chemicals. In the big yeah, four. the big four. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they have to answer to the technology use agreement. They have to worry about certain inputs. They have to use certain chemicals, they have to use certain antibiotics. And they, they have these touch points within that system. There's middleman, 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 middleman. Well, if you can shrink down the scale of basically the vertical integration from the soil all the way to your fork, a lot of people are already doing it. What we're doing is bringing that awareness and we're honing it. We're, we're basically finalizing that vertical integration to where... Our big thing right now, and I'm launching next week, I'm making a formal announcement next week, is we have the, the Beef Initiative Association Council. We have a council of successful um, processors that are producer processors on the micro level. And so we're consulting people to basically start building processing centers again in their communities. We have about four or five under our belt that we've been working on the last two years. And so that's a pillar of strength that we have right now and we're moving forward with it and people are starting to understand it.
5: Now, is that is that in Texas specifically or around the United States?
6: Yeah, we're starting in Texas right now. But what we have, we have the Texas certificate. You have Texas certification and then you have USDA, right? in texas you can do uh stay in the state of texas you can sell to the you know states around you from new mexico oklahoma and louisiana if you have usda you can sell everywhere i have a processor here in the panhandle of texas he only wants to sell in a 60 mile radius so he has the texas certification so we have a rubber stamp on texas we have a rubber stamp on usda and from the ground up we can go in there and consult we have a legal team we have the farm and ranch freedom alliance we have a lot of associations we have some lobbyists we have some represent- representation of state government we're going to start in texas and we're going to scale out i'm already in talks with somebody in colorado california so we're going to scale it out but we're going to do a, a slow roll into other states but we will get some established uh, established proof of work beyond what we've already done in texas first now
5: one thing that I've, I've i've become aware of is um all these different laws that really prohibit or prevent um ranchers and processors from actually even processing their animals and selling them and i was surprised that in texas it's actually pretty strict so I believe there's mm-hmm. a law in Texas that says a rancher is not allowed to kill an animal and allow any of that meat to leave their property, even as a gift to, like, coworkers and friends and things like that.
6: Yeah, if a rancher is just going to go out there and just kill a cow, I mean, you know, there, there are – every state is like that. You have these small little laws that basically do – Kind of control the retail aspect of it and the wholesale aspect of that cattle they want to make sure that cattle is earmarked for something that they do have a little bit of regulatory control over and so you you have to be pretty strict about you know you're up in montana it's going to be different in montana than it is in texas but once again but if so you i i have there,
5: my little place in texas i got five cows Sure. So I've raised those five cows I know what they've eaten uh, I can't eat five cows I believe a family of four like can eat one cow for like a year so I got five right. cows I can't eat them so I'm gonna process one of them and give them to my buddies but mm-hmm. I think the law prohibits me from doing that yeah pretty much right I mean that seems like a big you're gonna deal. have to use a.
6: you're gonna have to use a you know a microprocessor that at least has a Texas certification so that's, the,
5: that's the deal but then and then are they forced into um, as you're saying so then they have to use like certain Chemicals or certain fertilizers. No, they don't have
6: to force to. You don't you can have a clean processing center or you can have one that uses chemicals. Okay. And there's a lot of different chemicals that can be used. You know, this Amos Miller, you know, I think I believe he was there's two things. He was raw milk, and then there was also This, is the, something this is the,
5: the Amish farm in Pennsylvania.
6: Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And so there's a lot of chemicals that you know that you can be introduced into that are USDA certified or Texas certified. Some people you choose to use them. Some people don't. Uh, Both Justin Trammell of Panhandle Meats up here in the Texas Panhandle. He's a clean processing, zero chemicals across the board. And one of the chemicals that a lot of people are confused about whenever you actually do harvest the cow, you skin the cow and you put it on the hook. You, you basically need to spray it down, keeps the insects off of it. A lot of people just use vinegar and water mix. A lot of people use something that is USDA certified that people can say, hey, this is still somewhat organic. So there's so many semantics that get into this. We look at it as it, we're the only thing that we'll ever touch are clean processing centers. And so you being down in Dripping Springs right now, today, you could call Cole Bolton of K&C Cattle of Hometown Meats. You've got five cattle. You're going to be able to uh, process those cattle in your name and you'll be able to do anything you want with those cattle. Usually it is, you know, giving it away to your family. That's legal. Sure. You got it processed in a certified Texas processing center.
5: So it's about who processes it. That really, that's really where it comes down to. So, sure, I can't. And each state is different. I can't process it myself different. and give it away. I have to have someone else process it for me. Yes, yes. What about uh, now? What about wild game? So I got a deer on my property. I pro- I process that and give it out. There's
6: game. Yeah, there's there's gaming processing in Texas. I mean, you're going to see it. I mean, we're on deer season, so I know so you have can, a lot of. I can of clean my- a
5: deer and give it to my friends. You bet. But I can't. Yeah, I can't, you can I can't do it to the cow. Right. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, I was just surprised to see that because like I said, yeah, I can, I can clean a fish and give it to my friends. I can clean a cat. I can clean a deer and give it to my friends, but I can't clean a cow and give it to my friends.
6: Well, I mean, are you going to, I mean, what are you going to do with that cow? You're going to go out to the barn and harvest that cow? Is that what you're talking about or are you doing it professionally?
5: Uh, well, just like I would clean a deer, right? If I got a deer on my property, I'd sure. clean the deer. I'd process it. Right. Uh, I've done that. Um, I get. Mm-hmm. I've never done a cow, but I would just imagine it's not, it's just bigger. It's just bigger. <laughs> it's pretty daunting. Yeah. Right. I, I don't want to do either. I don't want to do either. Um, right. Now let's talk about the Texas beef initiative for a minute. So, um, it's just the, the beef initiative. Okay. The the beef, beef initiative. So, um, as I understand it, uh, and I'd love for you to explain to me, um, you're kind of trying to match up people who understand that maybe the food they're getting isn't so good, they'd like to have better food, and you're matching those people up with people who are growing the food and can provide that to them?
6: What we're doing is we're decentralizing beef, and that's what we're doing. Uh, we're, we're basically connecting farmers and ranchers to consumers, and we're cutting out all the middlemen. We're, we're doing a vertical integration from the soil to the grass, to the cow, to the producer, to the processor, to your fork we basically know every one of those touch points. We don't have to worry about anybody else. We don't have to ask for permission. We know where the, the soil came from. We know where the cow came from. We know who the processor is. We know who the producer is. And we know you, the okay. consumer. And um, we've been doing that pretty successfully. There's a lot of programs that already do that. But what we've uh, introduced is that we're allowing and we're, we're basically educating ranchers and producers on Bitcoin and we're able to do uh, peer-to-peer transactional systems now through the beef initiative. And so we have consumers that are basically buying their beef with Bitcoin. So we're giving options that is completely decentralized And it's basically, we're not having to ask permission and we're given market access in a way that is very difficult to find in this United States right now. Because you have a lot of farmers markets, you have a lot of different ways of, you know, people trying to have community food programs. Every one of them are reliant on centralized um, social media applications, programs, platforms, advertising, everything's in a centralized spectrum. We're basically grassroots. uh, We're grass fed. We're from the ground up decentralized. And so by approaching it the way we have, we're building out certain regions across the United States where you can come into the beef initiative, you can find your producer, you can contact them basically and do a peer to peer transactional system and you
5: don't have to worry about any of the middlemen. Okay, so kind of like a matchmaking service where I can go look at all these different producers, find the one that I like, and I can just interact directly with them. You bet. Yeah, yeah you know, um, again, like I said, I was, I've been into, into kind of health and fitness for a really long time. Sure. Um, and, uh, man, as much as I've studied it, I feel like I know quite a bit. I even helped my sister launch. Uh, I did the marketing, and I helped her launch a, a fast mimicking diet. So I did mm-hmm. all this research into fasting and intermittent fasting and like all this stuff. I, I know, I know, I, I know more than the average person about it. And it was at that event in 2019 with a uh, safety and he was the one that told me about the carnivore diet. And I was like, what? Like, hang, like, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like we need vegetables. Right. Um, and now today, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a carnivore, but I've been trying to change the the food that, that we eat specifically the meat. And, um, we, li- we lived in Puerto Rico. We were living in Puerto Rico in 2021. I was started eating a lot of grass-fed beef over there, and now we just got this other batch of grass-fed beef. Uh, we ate it last night. Man, I just gotta be honest, like I just don't like it as much. Mm-hmm. The kids didn't like it as much, and it's just like, man, that Costco meat is just, it just tastes so much better. <laughs> well, it's
6: funny, you like fat. You like animal fat, you know? And if you, and that once again,
5: do you know your rancher? Not at Costco, I sure as heck don't.
6: Who did you buy your grass fed beef from? Uh,
5: My wife has been sourcing it, so she's been trying to buy it from different people, you know. Um, So I'm not exactly sure where she where she found it this time. Well, once again, I say the
6: beef industry is very complex, and so the way I look at it, you know, I know every rancher, I know every piece of beef that I eat, you know, I know where it came from. Whenever you talk about grass-fed and grass-finished, it's going to be leaner meat. A lot of times, um, you know, grass-fed, especially in these days and times right now, you're in a drought out in California. We're in a drought here in Texas. Your grass-fed, grass-finished, maybe it's not going to have very much fat on it at all. What people under, start understanding is that they need to ask them, why, why, do, they, why do they want grass-fed and grass-finished? Is it because they're, they 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 know that grain finished commodity grain finished cattle is pretty nasty, you know, and that's what a lot of people get deterred from. Well, you still have regenerative ranchers that still like Cobalt and the KNC cattle. He grass feeds, but he also grain finishes on organic, locally sourced grain. To where he can have that fat content, therefore the taste profile
5: changes. That's what I need right there, Slim. That's yes. what I need. So explain to uh, the listeners what the differences are. So the Costco sure. meat, it's USDA Prime, whatever. <laughs>
7: Uh, well, I'm going to tell and you. I, I, and te- hey,
5: I, I think it's delicious. So tell me why, <laughs> no. tell the, tell the listener why maybe they don't want Costco beef, even though it's delicious and why they may want something from a local farmer. And then what the differences of those grass fed, grass finished, grain finished, et cetera. Are. Sure.
6: Well, I'm going to talk about something I use and it's people can associate really well. It's called the Brazilian cattle drive, right? And you're talking about Costco, so what happens, you have a cow that starts off on grass in Brazil. Well, it'll make its way all the way up through South America, Central America, into Mexico. Like what, grazing, you're saying? Like they'll, well, no, just oh, shipped. Okay, got it. Shipped in certain ways. And it'll be fed commodity grains, uh, steroids, antibiotics. So they're shipping
5: a live cow? Yeah,
6: yeah. They're, they're moving a live cow all the way to basically Mexico, or it gets finished off into a fat cow, basically is what they call it. They get all of its shots, all the steroids, antibiotics, and then ends up in a processing plant, let's say, south of San Antonio. Okay. Well, they did a study on processing plant down there south of San Antonio, and they did a test on ground beef. And this is the type of ground beef that Costco sources through this market access of the four processors. Well, they found within that one batch of ground beef, there was ninety different, 89 different genetics of cows in one pound of ground beef. So heard, you're eating 89 before, yeah. counts. Yeah. So what's and the so, problem with that, right, though? Well, the problem is that you don't know where those cows came from. And the USDA can say it's prime because it got processed in the United States of America. You have no idea the, the, the protocol, the feeding protocol, where it came from, the soil it came from, the grass it came from, the farmer, rancher it came from. You don't know if it was a commodity cow, if it was a dairy cow that chewed on grass for a couple of days and they said it was a grass fed. There's so many things that have been manipulated and basically corrupted within the labeling laws, within the USDA and the FDA, that you have no idea. It's crapshoot. If you're buying from Costco, you don't know where that beef is coming from. The amount of chemicals they can put in that beef they don't have to tell you about. That's under the gross rule, generally recognized as safe. It happens all the time. They they bond meat together and make steaks out of it. There's so many things that happens to commoditize beef, and it's not all bad, and I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the chance of it being pretty shitty beef is getting pretty uh, pretty high on the scale these days because the good beef is being shipped off to the highest bidder on the global market, and so if you're going to consume from Walmart or Costco – it is a crapshoot of what you're consuming. I'm not gonna put that in my body. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go make a relationship with somebody that lives.
5: And is that because animals can't eat crap and produce good meat? Is that, is that it? Or is it also, is it, is it either or also because then the way they process it with chemicals and stuff like that also makes it worse? Is it both yeah. or one or the other?
6: well it's if if you have a of a cow that's eating grain that cannot be consumed by humans and then you're eating that cow then you're eating part of that grain that can't be consumed by humans that's not a good thing
5: so that makes it's, it it's, into that makes it into the meat tissue of they course they don't filter that I out i mean
6: you bet. I mean, you know, that's what they do. That that's what we're eating. We're eating what they eat. They are that middle point of nutrition for us.
5: I like the joke. You know? I like to joke with some people that I'm on a grass fed. I'm 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 on a plant-based <laughs> exactly. diet. I'm on a plant-based diet. My cows well, eat plants and I eat the I eat the cows, the same thing, right?
6: Yeah. It's true. And like, like I say, you know, it's not that everything at the supermarket is is horrible meat, but what you can guarantee is it's probably not from the United States or it's got a combination of several cows. I'd rather consume one cow to where I know where it comes from. And that's being responsible and intentional about your consumption model that is based on nutrition, not on something that probably artificially tasting good. And so let's go back to taste and you're saying, I don't really like the grass fed beef. Well, I've been around the world. You've been around the world. I've eaten beef in different countries around the world. One thing that America is very good was producing a taste profile based on fat content of beef and we were some of the best at it you know from genetics all the way into the protocols of feeding even before we got into commodity feeding we were the best at basically making marble within the flesh of the cow and so that's what you're missing and you know i've been in Th- i've spent a lot of time in thailand that beef is different than it is in texas because mostly it's it's grass-fed beef in in asia and so it is going to be affect the taste profile Whenever you go and you say, I want grass fed, grass finished, you the individual should know why you're asking that question or demanding that. A lot of people say it because it's kind of trendy to go against grain finished because of the chemical companies, the Monsantos, the Bears, the Cargills, you know, everybody that controls our grain and the chemical apparatus in which that grain is. That's what uh, I was mostly thinking, right? Raising
5: GMO grain or whatever. Yeah,
6: exactly. I was up in North Dakota last year. I embedded myself in a harvest company to dive into, you know, the agriculture complex more. And there was a, there was a outside of a place called Mont, North Dakota is a family that's been there for, you know, 50, 60 years. They grow all their grain, no chemicals, no pesticides, no herbicides, And they have some of the best beef that I've ever eaten. And it was grass fed, but it was also grain finished, but they grew the grain. That's what I, that's what I searched for. And that's what I found in Cole Bolton with K and C cattle in Texas. And it's, he does that for a reason because like you, you look at this year we have grass fed grass finish well these cows are going to harvest these cows are smaller in weight this year that grass fed grass uh, finished uh, beef is not as good as Cole Bolton's he weathered the storm of a drought and his beef is still tasting just as good it's still it's clean still is organic but then you get then you get to the people that have been in the grass-fed, grass-finished, and you get into the omegas, you get into the true dense protein, the dense nutrition of uh, grass-finished beef. I don't go that far. There's people out there. That's what they live for. I have ranchers that are in the beef initiative, like Holy Cow Beef. They're out of Lubbock, Texas.
5: They are deep into that nutritional model of the grass-finished beef. So then grass-fed, grass-finished maybe has more nutritional content potentially, um, but the grass-fed grain-finished that's non-GMO, non-processed, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, probably gives you a happy medium where you're still getting a lot of the health benefits. You know where your cow comes from, but you're still getting that marbling taste benefit of it.
8: Zumo Play.
6: And you know that that's a lot of you know the aging, the aging of uh, of your beef. Uh, you know, you age grass finished different than grain finished. And once again, the complexities of it all are daunting. But a lot of people just don't have that access to that information to be able to make these educated decisions based on what they really want that tastes good to them, but is also just as healthy, or or just you know basically as healthy as the next. So. Hmm.
5: That's good to know. All right. So we're going to have to keep trying some different meat until we finally find that one. Well, I'll
6: tell you what, order from the beef initiative and get a beef box and we'll send it out to California and you
5: can do a taste profile on that. And then you can tell me what you thought. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely, we're definitely going to do that. Like I said last night, man, I was like, normally I'd have a couple plates of meat because that's pretty much all I eat. And I kind of like left some on my plate last night and I was like, dang. Mm -hmm. Um, And the kids were like. I think I have to get my jaw stronger in order to eat this stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
6: it is. I mean, grass finish. I mean, it, it's different. And it, 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 once again, it's education. You know, it's known what we're eating. What are we consuming? You know, getting to the source of the seed of what you actually eat. You know, it, it means something again. Yeah. But you don't rely on packaging to tell you.
5: Yeah. I had a friend in uh, Colorado, and he said he was trying to, they were trying to do their own meat. And they were finishing it with um, algae. I think Mm -hmm. because then it was really high in omegas i guess Uh, right so they were having a really tough time trying to get the fda to approve it um i've heard of that talk lately
6: you know i haven't gone too far that i've got a couple of ranchers out in colorado right now and they both uh grass finished because you know colorado is very good and once again though their marbling is up because you know where they're geographically located you know they can get more fat into that grass finished cow Mm -hmm. so once again, you to look at the regions the cow comes from, where the soil is, what type of forage it has. There's a lot of different, you know, protocols that go into basically getting the type of fat content that
5: you would like. So uh, again, the, the the attack vectors: food, energy, yes, wa- uh, money. And so um, we got to we we're going to fight back against that centralization through decentralized decentralization or creating these, these parallel structures, you're attacking it head on with the food, specifically with the cattle, the beef, which to me is pretty much the food. <laughs> like at my place in Texas, like we have we have the cows, we're not growing any vegetables, because like, I don't really need vegetables, I'll just eat the cows. Like I like a salad, mm-hmm. too. I'll have a salad, I guess, but the food being the most important piece, uh, or the, 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 the steak being the cow being the most important piece. So on that front, um, What do you see in front of you? Um, Is this an uphill journey? Is it an uphill uphill journey because you're trying to combat the education and you have to get people to change their viewpoint? Um, Is it also, or is it more uh, an uphill battle because of the regulations and the? you, you probably see more of an attack from a regulatory standpoint?
6: I think the regulatory attack that you speak of is more of a mindset that people think that they have to battle. Uh, you know, I said before that, you know, we we're basically uh, using the law better than the law uses itself. We're doing that within processing centers because a lot of the problems in processing centers has been the regulatory capture. Well, a lot of times in that regulatory capture, a lot of the regulations and inspections are for these massive processing centers. You have these inspectors that don't know how to scale down. And so what we're doing is we're getting the education out there to where it's not as hard to do those processing centers. And so there's not an issue as far as doing what we're doing. I don't see a lot of problems within regulations themselves. I think uh, Amos Miller, I mean, he's always been kind of an instigator. You know, he, he definitely fights the system on his terms. And he gets a lot of press by doing it the way he does it. You know, you don't. I I look at it like this. If we basically function as we're functioning right now and we leverage the successes and we leverage the law as it is written and how it is being written moving forward, we're not going to have a lot of regulatory problems. The biggest problem is changing consumer demand to where people have an understanding that they do not have to basically source all of their nutrition from the grocery stores based on convenience. That is gonna be the hardest thing to do is changing people's habits yeah. and changing people's perspectives. The convenience. But once again, I mean, we're growing left and right. You know, it's, it's, it's really picking up. the The yearning for this type of new consumer demand and this new type of market access that we're leveraging from the past, I mean, people are there. They're ready to commit. And I think that it'll be something. I'm going to use all of the basically the fear porn as much as I can to make people understand that you don't have to play in that mindset anymore. You can empower yourself by decentralizing your food. The best food to decentralize right now for your family and yourself is beef. And so that's my approach.
5: Yeah, I love that. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I hope more people wake up, you know, we, we've known this for a long time, but then through uh, whatever you want to call it, modern uh, education, um, we've, we've seemed to lose that. I always think about uh, Hi- Hippocrates in 400 BC said, let thy food be thy medicine, and thy medicine yes. be thy food. And so, uh, and again, through the pandemic era, we were told we don't have this natural immune system, but if you give your body what it needs, good food, and you kind of take out some of these external stressors and things like that, the the body can do a lot of good things. Like it can take care of itself. Let thy food be thy medicine. So you got to start with that good food. Um, I like what you're saying about, um, you know, not really coming under attack from the regulators as much as just trying to overcome people's thinking, uh, which I do like, you know, I try to remind people all the time, specifically in the crypto space, um, at the Bitcoin conference this year. Um, I was, I was working the news desk and they were talking about regulations, regulations, and we need more regulations. And if we got clear regulations, then we give clarity of what we do. And I'm like, look, I'm like, look, we live in America. We live in a free country. We don't ask for permission. Everything is where everything is free. Unless there's a law that prohibits that. And so we can continue to move as we see fit as long as we can move outside of those regulations where they prohibited us. So to your point, uh, we should be able to continue doing that. Now, as these things, and uh, another quote from Socrates, he said, uh, focus all your energy not on fighting the old but I'm building the new. So like, look, I don't need to fight the FDA or the food pyramid or these regulations. I'll just focus my energy on building the new, which is what you're doing. I don't yeah. need to change the education system. I just pull my kids out and they go to school over here now. And I don't need to change the media system. I've just created my own media outlets and I don't need to change the financial system. I just pull my money out and I use Bitcoin. And I think, um, just, uh, last week when I was in Austin, uh, my co author Alex Fetsky and I, we went on uh, Alex Jones' show. In oh, stores, did <laughs> and uh, of course, we had to orange peel them while we were there, you know. And we said, look, you know, sure. the one thing, if people would stop looking at it as an investment, but rather look at it as a parallel monetary system, it'd probably do way better. And I think about like, without the freedom of payments, we have no freedom at all. And so it's cool to have these alternative school systems or food systems or whatever. But if I can't pay for those teachers to teach my kids or pay for the beef, what good does it do me? So we need that. So um, you're using Bitcoin kind of as that underpinning for this new parallel structure that you're building. I'm curious, what's that like? I mean, you're talking to hillbillies on the ranch who are growing cows. (laughs) Like, What do they know about this uh, weird Internet money kind of thing?
6: well it's funny whenever i i I had the idea i was in the gym and it was whenever way back and i said hell yeah i said these these ranchers they're going to be the best bitcoiners that anybody realizes because they already think in a decentralized way they have to they understand volatility they think decentrally they have decentral communications that they use every day especially in the regenerative you know uh field so you, you would think that it's hard to get them to be orange-pilled, right? It really isn't. The way that I go up and I approach a rancher is, you know, I started the oniker is, you know, go up and shake, shake a rancher's hand. Look him in the eyes and say, hey, would you educate me? Would you tell me why you do what you do? Tell me where you're from. I want to know more. And once you start that conversation, most of these regenerative farmers and ranchers and producers, they're educators, they want to educate you. So I asked to be educated. Once you've developed that trust, what you do is you basically guess where the conversation ends up? You ask them, hey, what's your pain points? What are what 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 is what are your what is your prohibition that you're up against? Guess where that conversation always goes into? It goes into Bitcoin. I talk about store of value. Where's the store of a value of a cow right now? You, I mean, I ask that to everybody. Nobody can answer except a lot of the ranchers. The store of the value of the cow now is in the USDA insurance policy. Well, it used to be in the cow itself or it used to be in the land itself. Well, that's been taken away. That's not a, you know, that's not even an option anymore. So I asked the rancher, would you like a new store of value that you have control over that nobody can take away from you? Your grandfather lived this way. Would you like to live like he lived? And so the conversations always do, you know, holistically go into Bitcoin. So it's not as hard as you think as far as getting them on board. And within the Beef Initiative, you know, we have a wonderful technology stack and partnerships now. We've teamed up with Oshi, we've teamed up with Ibex, and then we have, of course, our own innovations within it. And so, our our tech stack is just, it's, it's proof of work. We've already sold, I believe, by this time, a quarter of a million dollars worth of beef through our platform, which accepts fiat and Bitcoin. And so now if you come in in a rancher he'll basically get onboarded. he'll get white gloved we have a technology stack we get them up and going and it's in no time that they're up and running each rancher gets to basically fill out how they're going to use it some ranchers just want to save 2.7 percent by not using a credit card right they don't have to pay those fees to the credit card companies other uh, ranchers are maybe they're doing 50% and they're keeping it in Bitcoin or they're keep, you know, or transregistering it into a uh, fiat. It's up to the rancher. And we're always making sure that we're there on the education level because they're education, we always tell everybody that we're orange pilling ranchers and the ranchers are ranch pilling Bitcoiners. And so it's Got in it. it's it, it's a good balance right now. And you know, these ranchers are really starting to reach out. They're not looking at it as some funny money, some technology they can't understand. And at the conferences that I've held up to date. Uh, it's amazing how much they invest, you know, within this new form of education that we're giving them. We're asking them to be educated first. Yeah. They're educating us about food first, and then we educate them about Bitcoin.
5: A few months ago, I spoke in uh, Las Vegas at the Freedom Fest and um, oh, a few thousand people there. And I, I was talking to a farmer. He wasn't a rancher. He was a farmer from from Utah. And mm-hmm. he just couldn't get his head around it, you know. And, and it was partly because he didn't know what – he didn't understand money. Yeah. So I kind of had to go back and like, do you even understand money? And we had to kind of start from there, but it was, it was interesting. But, um, you know, the one thing that I've seen, you know, over the last five years, at least is this kind of rise of, and, and it kind of came as a fad and kind of sizzled out a little bit, but the rise of people being able to order food, um, you know, pre-made meals at home and have them delivered. And there was these big mm-hmm. IPOs that were happening and then there was like the butcher's boxes and things like that. So it seems like it was like a growing trend that maybe lost a little momentum, but is still there today. And I would imagine that, um, most of these ranchers or would be ranchers even if they if they could figure out the best way to tap into that direct to consumer market they'd probably love to do it they probably have better margins and you know they wouldn't have to work inside of the system that's probably actively working to shut them down and so maybe mm-hmm. you're actively actively you know providing a better service where helping them go direct to consumer which is good for everybody involved it seems like
6: oh everybody wants to do that and goes back into that vertical integration from the soil to the cow to the producer processor you look at that model that we've created and that we're actively using today as we speak. Okay, you if you're a if you sell to a commodity, you sell for, to one of the four big processors, that rancher's probably only gonna make between, I don't know, a hundred to four hundred dollars off of that fat cow when it's ready to go into basically processing. You get somebody like Cole Bolton or Jason Rick or Justin Trammell, you know, that are in the beef initiative. They have a chance if they're going to go to consumer directly in a decentralized way through a decentralized platform as ours. That's two to three hundred dollars profit margin. They can leverage that into basically more like twelve hundred to two thousand dollars per cow. Wow,
5: like a ten x. That's what 10X they've been stolen. Margin.
6: That's what they've been stolen. That's what it's going on in this country, within our ranchers.
5: So does that? that so does that? How, does that? I mean, if, if they if they're going to make two hundred from selling it to uh, one of the big four, and they can make twelve hundred, mm-hmm. a ten x gain for selling it direct, mm-hmm. does that mean they yes. can compete with? Um, retail prices, like Costco prices, because they they don't they don't need of to make twelve hundred more. They just make six hundred. Yeah, more. we're
6: already competing with retail prices because the
5: price manipulation on beef right now is just astronomical. That, that's like the biggest drawback I hear of people wanting to go to like better meat is oh it's too expensive I can't afford it.
6: But see once again
5: perspective.
6: What is the perspective? You're eating shit beef, or you're eating the best animal protein in the world. What about your medical cost?
5: Oh, what no, about I, I get all that, but I was just saying well, if, that's what I if always They're only going yeah, mean, to make 200 bucks by selling it to a big four, but they can make 1200 bucks, uh, 1200% increase by selling uh, direct to consumer. What if they made a 600% increase and now they could kind of match the price, but they're still making five, four or five times more. Like that seems like a pretty good win. But I, I hear you. We're, we're buying it. Like I'm spending the money, right? I, I'm, I'm with you. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. I was just curious about that
6: no in it, 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 it's a very good point but see what what happened why do why did they not do that what is what is not letting them make that you know extension of profit that they used to have they used to have the ability to do that and when they sold in especially in their communities it's those four major processes right, they're
5: squeezing them out
6: well i i'll say this right here on your show is the department of justice should be investigating these guys From JBS to Cargill to Tyson, the amount of money and amount of fines and amount of -of out-of-court settlements, the amount of ranch land that we've lost because of this, these four global processors, people need to wake up because it's getting to where it is kind of getting, um, it's, it's basically stealing the heritage and legacy of our ranch lands in the United States of America. Yeah. People really in the reason it's happening is because of our consumer
5: demand and lack of education. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to bring forward. Well, in the communist manifesto, uh, Karl Marx lays out the 10 points of communism. So in order to have a communist society, these 10 things have to happen. Um, one of it, uh, well, seven of the 10 we have in the United States today. So, uh, we're not a capitalist society. We're seventy percent communist, uh, one of which is a progressive tax system, two is uh, was a central bank. Three of the ten have to do with taking over agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is a uh, is basically uh, heavy taxation or confiscation of inheritance. Yes. So these you know these farmers, my my father grew up on a farm. My grandfather was a farmer in Iowa, and they have these these farmlands, these ranch lands. They're poor, right? They work the land. They own a bunch of land, but it's been in the family for however many generations and now they pass it down and now they got to come up with millions of dollars of tax and it's like, I don't have that. And it just goes yeah. back. And so, again, that's back to the commonest. But, man, we can keep going on forever. We'll have to do another one for sure. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, I'm going to make sure that we're going to link down in the description down below for the beef initiative. I'm going to go buy some beef, uh, beef box directly from that. And everyone else should check it out as well. We'll link to that down below. I'm also going to link to that fed up documentary I, linked, uh, I talked about earlier. Um, anything else you want to point people to?
6: we're going to have a conference in georgia at white oak pastures and if you can't make the conference you know go and look at white oak pastures that's will harris you know, he was a commodity cowboy. He changed his 150-year-old ranch that he he inherited from his father and his grandfather. He returned it back into a regenerative model. He basically was the first guy to sell grass-fed beef through Whole Foods before Obezos bought him. So he has a protocol that basically what we're doing within the Beef Initiative, he has now established over the last two decades. And so we're having a conference out there September 16th and 17th and 18th. But you can find that on the Beef Initiative platform as well. The best place to start from a uh, podcast to uh, getting a beef box to finding a producer to adding a producer is the beef What's the podcast? Do
5: you find that on the beef, beef initiative? It's uh,
6: Yeah, it's on there. Okay. It's uh, Texas Slim's vision. And then of course on Twitter, I'm at modern T man. You can do a search these days for Texas Slim. You're going to find me.
5: Yep. 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 And we're going to link to it all down below as well for everybody. And with that, we'll, we'll wrap it up, man. I uh, I encourage everyone, like Socrates said, focus all your energy. Don't fight the old. Just go build the new, man. Pull your kids out of school. Turn off the mainstream media. Stop buying uh, processed food and go build these parallel structures. That's how we really change the world. Right. Appreciate you, Mark. Thanks for having me Thanks, on. Thanks, All right. That's a wrap. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. I am going to be buying a box of beef and I'm going to be trying it out. Maybe you will as well. There's a link down below. It's not an affiliate link. Just uh, if you want to check it out, check it out. And that's what I got for you today. All right. To your success. I'm out.
7: complete
3: terms. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
8: Zumo Play.